it's the next level. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. following movie contains material that may not be suitable for all viewers. Your discretion is advised. It doesn't matter. Lurkers, I have a chance to teach you something here. You have got to take the upper hand in all situations where people, whether they're dead or alive, will walk all over you. So what you need to do, you need to take action. You need to do what you know you need to do. You need to welcome yourself back to the Undead Studio Zero and Next Level Network production of the podcast that puts the X into bioexorcism. Welcome back to What What Lurks Behind behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And yeah, I'm your host, Postmortem Ball, your ghost host with the most. Whatever. But guess what, kids? This week, it's episode 59, one away from 60. That's pretty fucking cool. I'm not going to lie. This week, though, yeah, we're going beyond the veil of life. We are going into the afterlife, which also happens to be the attic of the Maitland household. And yeah, on today's episode, we revisit the Tim Burton 1988 gothic comedy starring Michael. I'm Batman Keaton. Say his name three times. It's Beetlejuice. Ah, but first. So, okay. Here's where I kind of like... Alright. This could have been my opening rant, actually. But I'm trying to get out of doing that whole opening rant thing. Uh, Even though sometimes it... I'm experimenting, I'm not going to lie. I'm trying different things and seeing what works and what doesn't, and I guess the rant this week is coming here. Because here I go again with my social media bitching, I guess you call it. I don't know. Because, okay, so here's the thing. There was a, a, I'm squashing a rumor now, because a lot of social media accounts have been kind of misinforming the public, let's put it that way. And it all started with Arrow in the Head, which is part of the JoeBlow.com website. It recently reported that Fred Decker and Tom Atkins were preparing to do a sequel to the original Night of the Creeps. And they were calling it official news. Like, Arrow in the Head was calling it official news. And for those who may not know, like Fred Decker posted on his personal Facebook account, Uh, Only a couple hours after that was reported that it was, and I quote, an offhand comment by Tom Atkins that was deliberately misconstrued for the purposes of clickbait. Welcome to the world of social media. Like, you know, and, and here's the thing, like, I mean, unless... You hear it from an official source, and I'm talking about, like, like, if Fred Decker himself you know, goes on national television or goes on Entertainment Tonight or, you know, you hear his actual voice saying something, odds are it's probably not good to just believe anything. Um, Because, I mean, today, people's social media accounts, whatever, will post anything for a click or attention. Like, 
Seriously, anything can get posted. I I know, okay, I realize it's a horror podcast, but it's something else that I wanted to kind of hit on. And in a way, it kind of does reflect back on the horror community. There's a rumor that Tom Ellis, who is in the show Lucifer, about the devil. See, it's kind of horror related. But anyways, that he's supposed to be in the crisis event that's coming up for those CW shows. Which, okay, just thinking this out, it doesn't even make sense. Lucifer is a Vertigo property, which yes, before someone like rips my fucking jugular out, I am well aware that Vertigo is owned by DC Comics. But it's a Vertigo property that was on Fox and now Netflix. CW has never had the Lucifer character. They've never had the show. And I know it's been pointed out to me. Well, Constantine. Okay, so here's the thing, though. Constantine was canceled from NBC with no intention of doing anything with the character afterwards. And then the CW picked up the character, streamed the series on their CW seed for a year or whatever, and eventually wrote him into the shows of Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow. So the whole thing is, is that like, and it was based on some like, you know, fucking stupid social media account known as Canada Graphs, I think it's called or something. And anyways, they had a picture of Tom Ellis on the set of one of the, like, like for one of the shows for the crisis event. And when he was interviewed on Entertainment Tonight, his voice specifically says, well, I was there for a friend's birthday party and just happened to crash the set to see what was going on. Because, yes, again, Lucifer is somewhat a DC property, but it's not in any way tied to the CW. And a lot of the you know, announcements and cameos and whatnot are all actors and actresses who have performed on WB or CW shows prior to. So anyways, whatever. The whole thing is, is like, it's just, there's a lot of shit going around on the internet about these movies, about these shows and whatnot. And like Fred Decker, I, I, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that he came out and he polite about it, but at the same time was basically saying, look, Everyone that's reading this article and circulating it and contacting me, asking me about Night of the Creeps, no. They're not remaking it. It's not going to happen, so let it fucking go. And interestingly enough, later on in today's review, you'll see how that kind of ties back yet again. Um, Moving ahead of that, though, quickly wanted to mention Waxwork Records. So this is kind of cool. I even placed my own order for it. They recently released the original score soundtrack for the 1988 film Child's Play. They released it on double LP, uh, like double vinyl. And the artwork is really fucking cool. It looks awesome. Um, I checked just yesterday while I was doing my notes for this, and it is still currently available on their website. It's at $36 US plus shipping. Uh... I can't wait to get it. I, I personally, I already have the soundtrack digitally, but the idea of having it on vinyl, I love this. I love the the score for Child's Play. So, really looking forward to that. Uh, one more thing I want to get to before I jump into Lurker's recommendation and then movie of the week. I have seen the movie Joker, and how do I feel about it? So. Maybe kind of a mini review. Uh, I didn't give this a rating or anything like that. It just here's the thing about the movie Joker, and the reason why I'm talking about this is because, in a lot of ways, the character of the Joker, I've always felt has had his roots in horror. I mean, when you think about it, the original inspiration for the character came from Conrad Veet, who was uh, shit. Why can't I never remember the movie he was in? Um, the man who laughs that's i believe what it was called and anyways if you saw the look of that character i mean it's very creepy you know he had like kind of like that that clown look that was at the same time menacing and vile and all this stuff and anyways what i'm getting at is the joker for me has always felt like sort of a, a horror character so i thought i'd throw my review like how i felt about it and whatnot on here 
It's definitely not a typical comic book movie, which was refreshing. I like that. I like that it wasn't Avengers. It's not Justice League. It's not Shazam and Aquaman and Captain America. Don't get me wrong. A lot of these movies I've enjoyed, but the thing is, is this is not that kind of movie. Yes, the characters are rooted in comic book lore. Um, in name and character, yes, but not in the way this movie feels. This movie is dark. It is a very weird film in the fact that you find yourself, as you're watching it, becoming very sympathetic for the villain, um, which we kind of saw already. Avengers did it with Thanos, obviously. A lot of a lot of people. It's, there's even a, a fucking website called I Agree with Thanos. Like, I mean, it's not something that hasn't happened before, but. This is this is like a and I I remember someone had a, a while back had in a review I read said that it was like watching a Scorsese film about the Joker. That's pretty much nailing it dead on. Like this feels like something, even though it takes place in Gotham City. Like you feel like this is one of those New Yorker kind of films and whatnot. Um, and I mean, by the end of the film, you find yourself agreeing with the villain. Honestly, you you really do, which is. It's cool. I, I like that. I like the the fact that we're not sitting here going, "Oh, Joker bad, Batman good," kind of thing. Like, and I mean, there's no Batman in this movie. Like, which the TV show Gotham proved you could do. Uh, a lot of people ripped on Gotham, and there were a lot of people that loved it. I mean, it was a very polarizing TV series, and the fact that you know some were huge fans. I was. I, I loved the show. I loved all five seasons. Um, and then there's a lot of people that didn't like it. For the simple fact that it was all the Batman villains without Batman. Well, this movie definitely proves you can do a Batman character without Batman. Um, my, I have one itsy-bitsy little complaint about the movie, and that is the fact that I felt it could have been a bit shorter. And that's not... I'll be honest with you, the movie's two hours long. It's not that it's... You know, it's not Lord of the Rings here. You don't sit there for four hours going, God damn, is this movie done yet? But which I've never done with Lord of the Rings anyways, but you know what I'm saying is, is this isn't one of those movies where you're like, fuck, it's going to be three hours, i got to sit in a theater, do I want to see? No, it's two hours. But they do a lot of focusing on the environment of the character as well, and some of that I felt was like, eh, could have chopped a few seconds off here and there, but I mean, that's me being like probably a little too overcritical about the film Joaquin Phoenix though fuck yes oh my god and again this is one of those deals where if this man does not get an Oscar nomination for this this is just the Academy saying it's a fucking comic book movie fuck off which is bullshit Uh, this is a great film it is definitely worth checking out Um, and if you're not like a Keep in mind, you don't have to be in the into the superhero genre of films to enjoy this movie. That's the beauty of this. This movie works on a lot of levels that if you don't care for superheroes, don't worry about it. You still may enjoy this movie. Uh, finally, we're going to do a Lurker's Recommendation and then on to the movie of the week. So Lurker's Recommendation is something that I created. I put it out there, and I'm recommending my shit for once. Uh, on Spotify, the Postmortem Paul account has a playlist that I have put on there called the uh, it's Postmortem Paul presents the Podcast Zero Spook Show Baby playlist, uh, and I mean it features music by the Ghastly Ones, John Carpenter, Typo Negative, Switchblade Symphony, Ice Nine Kills, Goblin. The Dickies, The Ramones, The Misfits, The Cramps, Susie and the Banshees, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie, and it, a, a Halloween playlist is just incomplete without Michael Jackson's Thriller. Love them or hate them, that is one of the greatest Halloween tracks there is. So it's on Spotify. Look it up. Check it out. It's, you know, a great little playlist. You know, if you're having a Halloween party or whatever, you want some tunes playing in the back check it out today man i put it on spotify it, it's it's a nice little playlist and that's my lurkers recommendation this week 
And now it's time to take a trip to the other side with our feature presentation. Say it once, say it twice, say it three times because the third time's the charm from 1988, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. I don't know, I really went over the top of that, didn't I? But hey, it's all good. Trailer drop, you know how we do this. I'm going to play some trailer for you. You know, let it, you know, get you in the mood and whatnot. And then after our shared podcast experience, the movie review for the week, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. Back in a moment, kids. From the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Adam and Barbara are... Ghosts. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? Their house is being haunted by the living. Maybe the house could use a little remodeling. And they can't scare them into leaving. They're dead. It's a little late to be neurotic. So they're calling on Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who's no ordinary ghost. You don't want his help. Can you be scary? What do you think of this? Now, the party's over. You want somebody out of the house? I want to get somebody out of your house. But the fun has just begun. It's showtime. Learn to throw your voice, boo your friends, fun and party. Not bad. This is amazing. Want a cigarette? Oh, no, thank you. He's guaranteed to put some life Attention, shoppers. in your afterlife. Michael Keaton is Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. If you don't let me get out this podcast and make it my own, I will go insane and I will take you with me. Motherfuckers. Can you imagine if, like... Delia Dietz had actually said motherfuckers. I mean, no, it would have been completely out of place in a Tim Burton movie, but hey, it is what it is. Okay, so, Beetlejuice, yes, Beetlejuice. Um, you know, it's really weird, too, because, like, I usually try to plan episodes ahead of time, and as I said, I had plans for the month of October that kind of went, they sunk, but um, it's kind of weird because... At first, when I thought of doing Beetlejuice, I was like, oh, is it really a Halloween movie, though? But you know, with how fun and vibrant this movie is, it actually... I mean, yes, it's not a Halloween movie per se, but it definitely fits the season of Halloween. So that's kind of why I chose it. And actually, it was kind of fun doing it. Like, I mean, I like this is one of those movies I have on VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. And I watched the VHS last weekend, actually. And it wasn't for this. I mean, I can do this review with no problem because I've seen this movie so many thousands of times. But I decided, well, I'd watch it because the VHS is actually the most recent copy I purchased of the movie. Actually, I lie. Uh, It wasn't purchased. It was a gift. And now that I remember that, I'm going to say thank you, Davey if you listen to this because it was my friend Davey that got it for me when he was in Chicago I believe he found a copy which I will say on VHS this movie's not that hard to find if you go thrift shopping and whatnot but still it was kind of cool that he did that and so that's that but anyways I you know it was getting back to me watching the VHS last weekend it was just one of those things where I watched it and I was like you know this movie doesn't even take place at Halloween but it just has like that autumn feel to it and just the whole idea of like the the spookiness and the creepiness but the fun of it all and everything i was like it actually works very well as a halloween season movie so it's kind of cool just when i think about like you know picking it and whatnot and how it does actually fit the season so almost well when you think about it and what 90% of the episodes I've done really kind of fit the season, but yeah, whatever. Such as the horror genre. But okay, so let's. I, I'm babbling. Let's move the fuck on, Paul. Jesus Christ. Beetlejuice was released March 30th, 1988. Not a Halloween food movie. What the fuck? Seriously, it should have been released in Halloween, but um, or in October. What? Wow. Directed by Tim Burton. 
who's Tim Burton? Hmm, I don't know. Do you know who Tim Burton is? Because, like, I never heard of the dude before. He's just done movies like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Edward Scissorhands, Sleepy Hollow, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Batman, Batman Returns, The Corpse Bride, Frankenweenie. Frankenweenie breaks my heart. I'm just saying that right now. That movie actually brought me to fucking tears. But anyways, uh, Mars Attacks, Planet of the Apes, Dark Shadows, Big Fish... Alice in Wonderland, he's doing a lot of, he did what, he did Dumbo? I haven't seen Dumbo, I can't, I, Colin Farrell's in it, and there's just, I do not know what it is about the dude, I just don't like his fucking acting, but, I know eventually I'll, I'll, I'll cave and watch Dumbo, I think it's on Netflix in Canada, I'll watch it that way or something, but, whatever, I'm not gonna lie, I'm more of an older Tim Burton fan than a newer Tim Burton fan, but, yeah, whatever. So the movie. The movie was written by Michael McDowell, Larry Wilson, and Warren Skarin. Now all three had written for Tim Burton projects as well, like like other projects. Um, but here's here's kind of the the creepy thing that I thought kind of fit with the whole idea of this movie. So Warren Skarin passed away in 1990. He was uh, aged 44, and Michael McDowell passed away in 1999 aged 49 so i wonder if like now i know this is gonna be like really low blow joke and everyone's gonna be like that's fucking cold but anyways i'm saying it because it's what went through my fucking head now that they're in the afterlife i wonder if they're seeing exactly what they wrote and maybe they're you know maybe they have a caseworker named juno i know it really bad and everyone's like that's so fucking off color and so horrible yeah i know whatever I'm talking about a movie that takes place in the fucking afterlife. Come on. I mean, both dudes... Seriously, if it's not for these two guys, we don't have this fucking movie because they're the ones that wrote it. So it's not like I'm not giving them credit. It's not like I don't love the work they've done and don't have respect for them and whatnot. I'm cracking a fucking joke. Why am I disclaimering every fucking episode I do these days? Jesus. Anyways, produced by Michael Bender, Richard Hashimoto, and Larry Wilson... Cinematography by Thomas Ackerman. Thomas Ackerman's done movies like Back to School, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, The Muse, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Scary Movie 4, Superhero Movie, and Night of the Living Geb. That's Deb, D-E-B, not Night of the Living Dead. Uh, music. Oh, music. Here's a gem for you. Music by Danny Elfman. And I'm not going to, like, okay, I've been an Elfman fan since before he was even doing scores. I grew up with Oingo Boingo, so, I mean, the man was already a fucking genius. But, I mean, when you think about some of the movies he's put his music to, in terms of musical score, movies like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Corpse Bride, Nightmare Before Christmas, Batman and Batman Returns. He's done the opening theme for Batman the Animated Series. He's done the opening theme for Tales from the Crypt. Summer School, Nightbreed. Nightbreed's a fucking gem, by the way. Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, and Justice League. Which, yeah, I know, everyone's like, Justice League sucked. No, it didn't. It was whatever. I like Justice League. I Actually, I like most of the DC movies, even though most people didn't, but whatever. Starring cast. Let's move on to the starring cast of this fucking movie. So, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Who played Beetlejuice? If you don't know the answer to this, like, seriously, check, check your your fucking nerd cred at the door. Like, you're done. But no, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton did Beetlejuice. Really cool story about Michael Keaton that I'll, I'll get into in a bit. But Michael Keaton, also, uh, he did movies like Mr. Mom. He's our Batman. A Batman. I love that he even. Uh, what was it? There was like some like school ceremony or something he was at, and he was like, you know, he signed off with "I'm Batman." And I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. Is he my favorite Batman? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm that Kevin Conroy guy, right? Like, I'm like all like Kevin Conroy's the best Batman ever. But in terms of live action, that's tough. But I think uh, Keaton's up there. Let's put it that way. He's definitely better than Clooney and that's not Clooney's fault and anyways I'm moving on so Michael Keaton's been Batman he was in Batman Returns he was in Gung Ho uh, that's a classic flick he was in Jackie Brown Desperate Measures White Noise Cars 
Toy Story 3, the RoboCop remake. He was in Birdman, which is a fucking weird movie, but kind of good, actually. I enjoyed it. And Spider-Man Homecoming as the Vulture. We all know that. Alec Baldwin as Adam Maitland. And so I learned something about Alec Baldwin that I never knew before. But anyways, he's been in Married to the Mob. He's been in The Hunt for Red October, The Shadow, The Edge, Mercury Rising, Pearl Harbor, Rock of Ages. And the thing I learned about him that I never fucking knew, I guess it was because it was well past my time, but he's the fucking narrator for Thomas the Tank Engine. I never fucking knew this. How it got past me, I have no fucking clue. Like I said, probably because it was past my time, but in all these fucking years. And I mean, like, my mother used to, like, babysit years ago. I mean, it's not like I haven't had little kids around. My friends have kids and whatnot. I it's not like I haven't had little kids around. Never noticed it was fucking Alec Baldwin who was the narrator on Thomas the Tank Engine. So that's pretty fucking cool. Moving on to Gina Davis. Gina Davis as Barbara Maitland. And Gina Davis, uh, she's been in Earth Girls Are Easy, Thelma and Louise, A League of Their Own. That's a great movie. The Long Kiss Goodnight, The Exorcist TV series. And I have to mention this one separately, The Fly. The Fly is a movie that I absolutely fucking love. I'd have to probably say it's probably my favorite Cronenberg film. It's it, Cronenberg's another one. I, I love Videodrome. I love Rabbit. And I love The Fly. And I, I think I'd have to say The Fly is probably my favorite Cronenberg film. But... Gina Davis, yes, she was in The Fly, and fucking awesome. Moving on to Jeffrey Jones as Charles Dietz. Jeffrey Jones is, yes, I know. Okay, so supposedly into child pornography. Again, I'm one of those people that, like, I hear this shit, I read about it, and it's like, okay, it's sick, it's disgusting, but that's not going to stop me from liking the movies they're in. You know, because I look at them as characters in these movies and I try to keep a distinct line between personal life and their entertainment world. Because, I mean, let's face it, like most entertainers, I shouldn't say most entertainers, there's a portion of entertainers that, yeah, they do crooked shit and they're fucked up and whatever. But I like what they do. So, you know what? I mean, there's probably, you could be working with someone right now in your workplace that's living some fucking suspicious kind of life that you have no clue about. Unfortunately, with entertainers, we all know about it because fucking media don't shut up about it. So, anyways, Jeffrey Jones has been in movies like Howard the Duck, yes. Ferris Bueller's Day, Day Off, yes. Transylvania 65000, yes. Um, okay, I'll stop saying yes, but. The Hunt for Red October, Mom and Dad Save the World, The Devil's Advocate, Sleepy Hollow, and Stuart Little. Catherine O'Hara. Oh, I love this woman. She's so awesome. Delia Dietz. And she's a lot of fun in this movie. She's a lot of fun in almost every movie I mention right now. Like Her characters in every movie have been fucking awesome. She was in Frank and Weenie. She was in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, she was part of, uh, what was it, uh, Lock, Shock, and Barrel. Yeah, she was uh, uh, Home Alone and Home Alone 2, which I know, don't say this in a horror podcast, but fuck you. I love the Home Alone films, the first two. Everything after that has been garbage, but the first two were fucking awesome. She was in Dick Tracy and she was in Monster House and she's been in a lot of other shit too. Uh, you guys probably figured out by now. I'm only hitting like key points here. Winona Ryder. Oh, gee, I wonder who Winona Ryder is. Winona Ryder was another one of those celebrities. At one point, they had that she was, you know, it was being reported all over the media. She was a kleptomaniac. Okay, well, you know, they're human, man. Like, granted, if they're doing some sick shit, I get it. But she was human, whatever. And she kicks ass and she's sexy as fuck and I don't give a shit. Anyway, she played Lydia Dietz. She was not sexy as fuck in this. That would be very weird of me to say that. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she, she does have that goth look going though and it works for her and it works for her in this film but she was also in edward scissorhands bram stoker's dracula which that movie is one i will review on this podcast one day that is 
definitely going to happen. She was also in Reality Bites, Alien Resurrection, Alien Resurrection. God, I. Still, though, it's still better than Alien Covenant. That's all I got to say. Uh, she was in Lost Souls. She was in the Star Trek, uh, the remake, uh, the J.J. Abrams version, uh, Black Swan, Frankenweenie, and, and okay, so. Quick little story for you here. So the other day, a friend of mine, Dave, he introduced his kids to Beetlejuice. They'd never seen it before. They're young kids, whatever. So that's understandable. He's introducing them to, you know, Beetlejuice. And they see Lydia Dietz on the TV. And what's the first thing they say? Oh, is that Joyce from Stranger Things? <laughs> he writes this on his social media account. I'm like, oh no, she's been in so many other great things and that's what they know her for. But again, she's awesome in Stranger Things. I'm not taking that away. It's just, it was like generation gaps, man. <laughs> I know her from like Bram Stoker's Dracula and, you know, like Reality Bites and all those 90s flicks. And Heather's is another one she was in. You know, I know her from that shit. And younger kids today are like, that's Joyce. <laughs> Okay, but whatever. And as Joyce, she's still fucking hot. I don't care what anyone says. I think Winona Ryder's a beautiful woman. Okay, moving on to Sylvia Sidney as Juno. Juno's the caseworker. She's the one that she, like, smokes, and the smoke comes out of her tracheotomy, and I thought that was so fucking awesome. Small effects in this film just made it so so enjoyable. Anyways, she's done a shitload of TV work. There was just a lot of it, and I was like... Not writing us all down. But she was also in another Tim Burton film, and I thought I would add that. She was in Mars Attacks. So I'm adding that as well. But yes, uh, more a TV actor than anything else. Uh, moving on to Robert Goulet as Maxie Dean. Maxie Dean. Oh, I got to get Maxie Dean up here. Yeah, okay. So he was also in Scrooged. He was in Naked Gun 2.5. Mr. Wrong. Toy Story 2, and again, a lot of TV appearances that I just was not writing down. I'm sorry, I know I, it probably sounds very lazy of me, but I'm just, I'm not doing all the, you know, they were in this show, and this show, and they were in one episode of this, like, whatever. Uh, Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett as Bernard. He's Bernard. Um, I love this guy because every time I see him in this, he obviously makes me think of another movie. But he was also in Forrest Gump. But he's the fucking talk show host in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. He's the one that's on the uh, on the TV with Zsa Zsa Gabor right before Freddy pulls his welcome to primetime, bitch. Yeah, he's that guy. He's that talk show host. Uh, and that's what he was mainly known for. Uh, he he was basically like, I guess, like the rival to Johnny Carson back in the day. Kind of like how like, well, when I was growing up, it was Dave Letterman and Jay Leno. who were kind of like the two rivals, right? Well, you know, it, it, prior to that, it was Dick Cavett and Johnny Carson that were like the two, you know, quote unquote rivals. So that's pretty cool. He gets a little small role in this movie. Okay. Glenn Shaddix as Otho. He's the one that's like, you know, he's supposedly the interior decorator. He, he, nobody knows interior decorating like Otho does. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Um, Dude needs to work on his own fucking fashion, but that's another statement for later. Anyways, he was also in films like Sleepwalkers, Demolition Man. Demolition Man, that was a fucking great movie. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, he played the mayor in that. I thought that was kind of cool. He was in Tim Burton's version of Planet of the Apes. Sadly, Glenn Shaddix passed away in 2010 at the age of 58. So he's probably joining the other two in the afterlife and being like, fuck. I need a caseworker. Um, no, I, I should stop that joke, but it just, it seems funny. Like I, it, it's funny, not funny because I'm like reading all these like names and I'm like, this one passed away. This one passed away. This one passed away. And what am I doing a movie on about the fucking afterlife? It's just like weird. Finally, Annie McEnroe as Jane Butterfield. She's the she's the annoying woman at the beginning of the film that's like, you know, you should sell your house because like two people living in a big house apparently is strange and we should sell this house to a family. Why? What's wrong with people living in a big house even if it's just two of them? Their marriage probably works amazingly because one can be upstairs, one can be downstairs and they don't have to see each other all day and when they finally do see each other, they appreciate that time. 
But anyways, that's that's a rant that it explains why I'm single, right? But anyways, Annie McEnroe was also in movies like Running Scared, The Hand, Howling 2, Wall Street, The Doors, The Survivors, and she was also in the Wall Street, the, the second movie, was Money Never Sleeps or whatever. She was in that one as well. So that's your that's your starring cast. The movie the movie was rated PG, uh, assuming like language and mature content kind of thing. Um, Runtime is ninety two minutes. The budget for the film was fifteen million, and the gross, the uh, North American gross, anyways, I couldn't find worldwide. Uh, North American gross was seventy four point two million dollars. Not a bad day. So synopsis time. And this week, I'm not going to go all out and whatever. You know, I just... Some weeks, it's kind of fun. Other weeks, it's like, eh, I don't know. I was going to do the box of the, the, the VHS box art because, you know, I have the tape, obviously. But, like, I write notes and it was just all... That was... It was one fucking box art where, like, the writing never stopped. And I'm like, uh, I have arthritis, guys. Like, it just... Ah. I, I love again it just I'm talking about a movie about the afterlife and I'm talking about like you know the arthritis in my hand because you know it's it's an illness oh no 2019 illnesses anyway synopsis for this movie Adam, Adam and Barbara, Barbara are a normal couple, couple who happen to be dead they have given their precious time to decorate their house and make it their own but unfortunately a family is moving in and not quietly Adam and Barbara try to scare them out, but end up becoming the main attraction to the money-making family. They call upon Beetlejuice to help, but Beetlejuice has more than just helping in mind. I love saying that. Beetlejuice! Fuck it. Just the name of the movie alone, like, I love the way it rolls off your tongue. It's like, Beetlejuice! So awesome. Anyways... Notes from the afterlife. I know. I always do the notes from the beyond thing, and this week I'm like, it's an, it's an afterlife kind of fucking movie, man. So we're doing notes from the afterlife. Which here's something that I I learned this. So I was like, if I just learned this, I'm sharing this with everybody because it probably has been st- stated in the movie, and I never fucking noticed. <laughs> but fictionally, the film takes place in Winter River, Connecticut. I knew it took place in Connecticut, never knew it was Winter River. I'm like, and it's probably said in the fucking movie and has probably always slipped my attention. So I'm going to do it like this. So because according to Screen Rant, I'm not a big Screen Rant kind of fan. Like, I don't really care for their, their you know, the, their articles, their their publications and whatnot. But here's the thing. They did a, a 10 best of Tim Burton films up to date. And Nightmare Before Christmas was their second best, Beetlejuice being the first. So here's my take on this, all right? Because th- that I, I figured that's, that's a nice place to start. Okay, so, like, critically, uh, for people that love this movie, they do consider this the best, the top Tim Burton film. So why would we look at it that way? Well, first off, perfect fucking cast. There is not a cast member in this fucking movie that doesn't fit. There is no one who is in this movie that I'm going, fuck, you make me want to cringe. If this isn't Ghostbusters 2016 where it's like, fucking Melissa McCarthy, really? No, this is one of those movies where I'm like, I love Michael Keaton. I love Alec Baldwin. I love Gina Davis. And even if I didn't love them as actors... They play their role so fucking perfect. There is not one cast member in this that seems out of place at all. Even the fucking secretary, the, what was it, the beauty pageant queen who like slit her wrist? I know, dark fucking movie. Yes, we make fun of people who slit their wrists in this fucking movie. But anyways, like, even she brought her A-game and she's in it for what, two minutes maybe? That's it? I mean, I don't know. This let's put it this way: this this film was released in the era that was definitely the pinnacle of Tim Burton's directing resume. I Nightmare Before Christmas, Batman, Batman Returns, Beetlejuice, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, everything pretty much from '86, I'd say to let's say two 
2001, I think, is when Sleepy Hollow came out. Anything within that bracket is pretty much Tim Burton's best. It's it's Tim Burton at his fucking prime. I'm not saying that Alice in Wonderland was a horrible movie, but it was definitely not up where it should have been. And, and there's a lot of shit to pick apart about that fucking movie. Um, but this, this movie, because I, I want to stick with Beetlejuice. I don't want to start jumping all over his fucking resume. But I mean, the setting, the design, and the aesthetic of the whole movie is one, definitely a Tim Burton film. You you cannot question that. This this looks like it's something that like you could put this side by side with Edward Scissorhands and you go, yep, that's a Tim Burton film. But more so, this is also exactly how a bizarre film of this nature should look. It's how it should sound. The dialogue. Here's the thing about the dialogue with this fucking movie. It all fits. It's perfect dialogue nothing feels forced nothing feels stupid nothing feels like you're not sitting there going okay that was not delivered properly no the dialogue everything about it the delivery the the sour darkness of the fucking movie i mean like i said like we make fun of some really dark shit in this fucking movie and it's all done perfectly it comes right out it feels so fucking natural and that's what's it, it this this film is definitely at the, the the top of tim burton's game um and, and you got to keep in mind okay so like after obviously this is they call this the sophomore release of of tim burton's directing career i mean like he had done stuff before peewee's big adventure i mean frank and weenie was a, a short film before peewee's big adventure even came out and then later on made into an animated movie as well but so, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, though, was, like, successful as shit. Warner Brothers, all of a sudden, was, like, they considered Tim Burton a real deal. Like, he, they called him a bankable director. Like, he he was definitely going to be something that Warner Brothers would be proud to have working for them. But here's the thing. At the same time, they weren't ready to greenlight his Batman movie. Him and Sam Hamm had been, like, working on a script for that, and they weren't ready to greenlight that. But they were like, well, hey, all right. Start reading scripts from other writers. Turn these into films. We'll, we'll keep mulling over the Batman idea, but for now, let's do something else. So Burton starts reading scripts, and he's reading all these different scripts, and he, he's like completely like, these movies are, there's no originality, there's no imagination. And Burton, like I said, at the peak of his fucking career during this time era, his imagination was off the fucking charts. Like, people had not seen shit like this before. And, I mean, it, it's kind of funny that one of the films that was, like, brought to his attention, he passed on, was Hot to Trot, which actually wasn't horrible, but, I mean, it wasn't bad either. It was a fairly decent flick. Uh, that's the one with Bobcat Goldthwaite, if I remember correctly. Here's the thing. So... David Geffen. David Geffen approaches Tim Burton and says, here's a script for a movie called Beetlejuice, written by Mal um, uh, Michael McDowell. I almost called him Malcolm. <laughs> Michael McDowell. And Tim Burton was like, hmm, now this has my attention. He brings on Larry Wilson to polish up the, you know, polish up the, the script. And then Warren Scarron's brought in to help with, you know, shape out the screenplay. Next thing you know, you know, start rolling credits, as they say, because Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice is on its way. And here's something else that is like, a, it's a mind fuck. It's kind of weird. But originally, Beetlejuice was supposed to be played by Sammy Davis Jr. Imagine what kind of movie that would have been like, because he's character too. He's He's definitely... Sammy Davis Jr. could have brought something to that character. I'm not saying he wouldn't have. But then David Geffen turns around and tells Tim Burton, here's this guy, Michael Keaton. I think he'd be good instead. Because that happens, we get Batman and Batman Returns after. Keep that in mind. But anyways, so here's the thing. Tim Burton almost passed on Michael Keaton because he had never heard of him. He wasn't aware of Mr. Mom. He wasn't aware of gung-ho he wasn't aware of the uh, of some of the films that keaton had already been doing but he still says okay fine you know what i'll give it a chance and good call i mean because keaton fucking brings the shit to this movie he's awesome in it 
And then you got Winona Ryder and Catherine O'Hara. They signed on real quickly. Like Tim Burton didn't even have to fight with them. He was like, here's the script. Here's my ideas. And they were like, "Mm, we're in. Everyone else, though, he had to talk them into it. Like, And that's interesting when you think about it because we look back on the film now and we go, well, fuck, this this movie is like a magnum opus. It's fucking awesome. But a lot of the actors in the film, like Jeffrey Jones and Glenn Shaddix and whatnot, they weren't sold on it at first. They're like, this is a very weird film. It's a very dark film. There's a lot of jokes in here. I don't know if I like what, what the, the, the direction this movie's going. But I guess it's easy to say that since those early days, the rest is history, right? Because I'm sure that every single one of those actors is looking back on this film now going, glad I did it. (laughs) You know, especially like, you know, Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder, especially. And you got to keep in mind also, look at the legacy this film has created. I mean, we had an animated series that ran for three seasons, I believe. It was two and a half or three seasons. I grew up like I I grew up watching. Well, grew up. I was already in my teens when it came out, but I, I remember watching that animated series, and it was fucking fun. As a matter of fact, on the Facebook page for What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero, I have an episode that's been uploaded on there, uh, a Halloween episode. Like the the animated series is fucking awesome. There's been video games. There's a fucking stage musical of Beetlejuice. That's awesome. And then there's that fucking rumor slash tease slash speculation of a fucking sequel. And here's the thing. Okay, so and this just happened just recently. I mean, like what were what was what was the odds, right? I Horror, which is a they're more reputable Facebook account. Like you can count on them to be pretty accurate. They don't fuck around very much. But that sometimes the thing with iHorror is that sometimes they will repost articles they've posted in the past, and they did that with um, an article about the Beetlejuice two sequel. Because in in April, it was back in April, Tim Burton had said most likely there will be no Beetlejuice sequel because this is a rumor that's been getting mulled around and teased for so fucking long, and I, I forget what. I forget what show it was. Tim Burton was on live television anyways, one of the late night shows. And he was talking, I believe it was because Dumbo was being released and he was being interviewed and they asked him about Beetlejuice too. And he said, you know what? Okay, look guys, let's, let's face it. It's not happening. And the thing is, is I think the, I think people on the internet like to keep reposting about this, hoping that maybe he'll change his mind. But here's where I stand on this. I am honestly perfectly fine with no sequel. I no sequel is needed. No remake is needed. God, the fucking idea of a remake just makes me want to cringe. Granted, Warner Brothers. This is what worries me because I I don't know. And I mean, we're getting a Matrix Four, so sequel is it really off the table? Because Warner Brothers seem like they like to hit their fucking cash crops over and over and over. This movie is one of Burton's best. It's definitely at the top of his his career and it stands on its own to this fucking day it still stands on its own it's still awesome it doesn't need a sequel and if a remake ever happens i hope i'm dead by the time it happens i'll be in the afterlife with all my favorite guys from this fucking movie but Oh, and hey, you know what? Before I even, you know, because I'm nearing the end of my review here, I cannot forget to mention the music of Danny Elfman, which, I mean, come on. As I said earlier, his Oingo Boingo days alone proved he was a musical genius. Some of those Oingo Boingo songs are still iconic to this very day. Some of them would have fit this fucking movie, especially like Dead Man's Party. That song would have easily fit in this fucking movie. But this score for Beetlejuice has to be it's within the top five let's put it that way and i say that because nightmare before christmas is a fucking iconic soundtrack but there's batman score there's just something batman might not be tim burton's best movie but it's definitely one of danny elfman's best scores so batman kind of 
takes the winner on that one. And I mean, like, Elfman's done a lot of fucking scores. But the Batman one just sticks out. I, I, I don't know. But Beetlejuice is definitely up there. I say it's easily in the top five because I'd also I let's see if I'm thinking of Elfman scores, uh, Edward Scissorhands, Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, Corpse Bride, Batman and Batman Returns are probably my five favorites. Um, And like I said, it, it needs to be highlighted even one more time. The humor is off the chart with this movie. The playful yet very dark jabs at what we at, at what happens to suicide victims or football players who don't survive a bus crash. Like we even made fun of something like that. Like these are like you know what were they high school or college kids that they're bus. I love that when they're like uh, coach. I don't think we survived. Like. The whole idea of when you die that you don't know you die. That's something interesting too. Like, I mean, because we see it even with the Maitlands. When when they have their accident, which you got to love, like a little fucking dog is what say, was saving their car from crashing into the water and then they crash in the water and boom, boom, they're dead. But anyways, the whole idea of when they first died, they didn't know they were dead. Like that's... That's kind of fucked up, and it's a weird way. It not I, I, weird might not be the right word. Like it's just a unique way of looking at death in the afterlife, which death in the afterlife are like the it, it, the whole idea of dying, the whole idea of the afterlife. This is one of those things where it's it's a human mystery. We'll never fucking know until it happens to us. You can speculate all the fuck you want about heaven and hell and God and the devil and all that other bullshit, but really don't know what the afterlife is like and if there is an afterlife or is it all black like atheists believe you know what i mean so and this movie in its own way playfully jabs with all of that and makes it super fucking fun and awesome and and i have to say this and i'm not the first person to say it there are other people who have said it as well this movie even quotes itself perfectly on how so many fans perceive this film and I even used it at the beginning of the episode. It's the clip you hear when he's like, and it gets funnier every single time I see it. Yes, that is that is Beetlejuice. I love a lot of Michael Keaton films, and I love a lot of Tim Burton films, but this has to be the best of both fucking worlds. Reception and rating. Based on 55 reviews collected on Rotten Tomatoes, right now, Beetlejuice stands at an 84% overall approval rating. Believe it or not, of everything I'm about to announce afterwards, that is the highest rating this movie gets from anywhere. Because IMDb has the movie at a 7.5 out of 10, which is not bad. That's It's, it's not bad. I mean... Uh, withholding my rating mine's higher that's all i'm gonna say letterboxd has the film currently listed at a 3.8 out of 5 which you're looking at a what about a a 7.6 out of uh, out of 10 so basically on par with imdb metacritic has it at 70 out of 100 it is 70 percent approval rating that's not bad jonathan rosenbaum of the chicago reader he gave it a very positive review and he felt that Beetlejuice carried originality and creativity that did not exist in other films. At that time, yes, absolutely. There were not many films doing this. Um, And even to this day, I still don't think there's many films that toy with the idea of death and the afterlife in such a comedic way. I mean, there are films, obviously, but Beetlejuice just kind of stands out on its own. And then there's, okay, so Janet Maslin of the New York Times. Oh, because we're such a reputable paper that, you know, we just, we we can't have anything funny, you know. Um, She basically stated the film tries anything and everything for effect and only occasionally manages something marginally funny. And it's about as funny as a shrunken head. Yeah, okay, go fuck yourself, bitch. Uh, Roger... (laughs) Roger Ebert, on the other hand, and granted, here's a man, he could have easily just fucking dissed this movie to shit, not completely, but still, here was what Roger Ebert has to say, he says, 
The movie would have been he would no sorry he would have been more interested if the screenplay had preserved Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis's sweet romanticism and cut back on the slapstick. And as for Keaton's character, Ebert called him unrecognizable behind pounds of makeup and stated that his scenes don't seem to fit with the other action. What fucking movie were you watching again? Because it clearly wasn't fucking Beetlejuice. How do you feel? How, how do you figure that Michael Keaton does not fit with his other action? Unless you're talking about his other films. Which, yes, this only showed he had fucking acting range. Okay? Like, come on. Whatever. Fuck critics. That's all I have to say. Even though I'm like an amateur critic myself. But anyways, Podcast Zero rating. Let's sum it up here. This movie is quirky. It's hilarious. It stands up today. It's strongly comedical, especially in dark areas where we seem like, you know, it's it's just it's taboo to talk about this shit. This movie does it so well, at, you know, with its little sense of humor. Has a great aesthetic. It, 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 and shows even again, here's here's this whole idea of sometimes little is more. The whole opening credit scene is a nice example of that where you think you're going over the town, which you are technically, but it's the model. It's the whole mo- It's the model of the town. And then we see that spider climbing over the house. And that's when we realize, Oh, this wasn't just a cheap opening. This was actually meant to be like this. And it, it really, it works really well. It helps to set the mood perfectly right from the, the right from the get go. The actors in this movie look like they're they're having fun making this movie, and it shows. The more fun you're having, the better the output. We know this. It, it's a common thing in any occupation, any type of workplace. If you're having fun, you will do better. If you're not having fun, you will not succeed at what you want to accomplish. The score is great. The effects are both fun and campy while not being a hindrance to the film. And come on now. <laughs> trust me, I was not going without mentioning this. That whole fucking Deo scene, the Harry Belafonte song and the whole fucking dance and the choreography and everything is motherfucking priceless. This movie, this movie what lurks behind podcast zero is rated at a perfect 10 handbooks for the dead out of 10. This, this is one of the movies that is absolutely perfect, even in its flaws. And yes, I'm pretty sure even cinema sins has done a fucking cinema sins for Beetlejuice. And if they haven't, there's a reason why they haven't, but I'm pretty sure they did. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I watched it, but anyways, this is one movie. It does not need a sequel. It does not need a remake. It is perfect in every shape and form. Leave it the fuck alone. And on that note, thank you for listening, everyone. I hate this expression because I hear it a lot, but I'm going to say it because this is my love letter to Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is a movie that from the very first time I ever saw it, I loved it. And every time I've watched it since... I've loved it even more. It's exactly like he, you know, like Beetlejuice says about The Exorcist. I've seen it 167 times and it gets funnier every time. For me, I love this movie more every time. I never get sick of this movie. This is a this is a movie that even at my tiredest moment, at, at a, I could have just worked my ass off at work, come in, be completely fucking exhausted and put this movie on and I will not fall asleep until it's done. It is just that fucking great a movie and... This is my quote-unquote love letter to Beetlejuice. Tim Burton may not have the imagination he used to have. He's still got it, though. I'm not saying he's not an imaginative man. But this, this came at that peak right when he was at his fucking prime, when he was at his best, and I love this fucking movie. So... Again, thank you for listening, everyone. And you know what? I, I've talked a lot, and it's time to just... Uh, we'll do the... the, the, the what does Ben call them? Cheap plugs? I calls them that on DC Primetime a lot. You know, the cheap plugs. I'll tell you where you can find the podcast, where you can find the social media and all that shit. I'll announce next week's episode, which I'm going to get flack for, but fuck it, I don't care. 
um, <laughs> before I get blocked up. So, where can you find the podcast? Well, obviously, you can you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, on Google, Spotify, uh, Castbox, FM Player, and of course, at its home, the Next Level Network, nextlevelnetwork.com/podcast zero. You can also find it at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero.com. Uh, if you choose to email, you know, you want to email me, tell me, you know, I can't believe you cracked those fucking jokes about the two the two screenplay writers. Yeah, okay, whatever. Let's move past it. But, hey, you want to bitch me out for it? Email me at whatlurksbehindpodcastzero at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash whatlurksbehindpodcastzero. So the account I run the most if you want to keep up on news and current shit and awesome artwork, I love finding awesome artwork to share on there. Movie posters and whatnot. I, I post a lot of different shit on there. Follow me on Facebook, uh, Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero on Twitter, which Twitter is like the two days a week kind of thing. It's like, I'll go on there like one day and then a couple days later. And that's it for Twitter. Sometimes then there's other weeks I'm on it a lot, but whatever. Uh, Twitter, you can find the, the, the podcast at WLB podcast underscore zero. There's the Redbubble store, which if you want to buy a shirt or a sticker or a coffee mug or whatever, go on the Facebook page, click shop now. I've linked it to there. It makes it so much easier. Just go on the Facebook page and hit shop now and it'll take you right to the Redbubble account. Here we go. Next week. Okay, so. Next week is the Halloween edition of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero. It's the Halloween episode. Uh, we'll be coming to you two days before Halloween as, you know, the next level show, uh, Still Afraid of the Dark, owns the Halloween spot. I don't get that one, but hey, you know what? Two days before, you can prep yourself up and get ready for Halloween, right? So the next episode of What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero movie review of the week will be coming from director Tommy Lee Wallace not Tommy Lee the drummer for Motley Crue no Tommy Lee Wallace um I yeah I will catch flack for this because this is one of the most polarizing movies of the 80s it is a movie that is there is no down the middle it's either you love this movie or you fucking loathe it uh and Joe Bob Briggs actually hates this goddamn movie which really breaks my heart but anyways all i can say is it's almost time it's almost time kids get your silver shamrock masks on and get ready to take in the halloween review of next week yeah i'm doing it halloween three season of the witch i know i can already hear it now i've got some people going yes fuck yes and there's other people like fuck yourself to hell yeah i know i know it is what it is whatever gonna close off the show doing this the way only any beetlejuice review podcast show episode should be done yeah we're gonna do that song you know what song i'm not even fucking announcing it we're just gonna do that song thank you so much for listening i'm out i'll be back next week when i'm probably gonna get my nuts ripped off for doing this movie review but hey i don't fucking care because it fits the fucking season so that's all keep in mind everything fits the season it's all about the season the season of halloween halloween's not one day kids it is a full fucking month it starts october 1st and well it goes on throughout the whole fucking year because every day is halloween but dale dale i know i do not do that song any credit at all but for any justice justice is the word i was thinking not credit whatever fuck off i'm done i'm babbling i'm out have a good week everyone ciao for now Banana, they like come and we want.